Thank you, Kathy, for sharing, and I appreciate our team leading us this morning. And uh, there's always people behind the scenes. Gabriella, who often is up here, is behind the scenes today working with our tech team, and there's always things happening around to make this morning possible. I'm so appreciative of everyone. If you have your bulletins, you may want to turn to the sermon page. There would be a little note-taking that can uh, take place today that may be helpful uh, just because of how this sermon kind of lays out. Um, We've been in this series called Breakthrough, and I'm just curious, how many of you had something that was really challenging in your week this week? Go ahead and just raise your hand. You're not going to have to share and stand up and say anything. Curious. If you look around, there's quite a few people that kind of raise their hands there. And, and when there's things that challenge us or when where we feel stuck, we look for a breakthrough. We look for God to come alongside of us and help us and to speak to us and to move us forward and beyond where we are in that place. And uh, we've been encouraging people to take this breakthrough challenge, which means that every day we're reading one proverb. So today, Proverbs chapter 9 If you have not read the last two verses of Proverbs 9, it would make for a really good scary movie Um, uh, because every time I read Proverbs, it just comes to life. And so uh, on uh, June 9th, we read Proverbs 9. The the second part of the Breakthrough Challenge is uh, to ask God repeatedly uh, to give us wisdom. We're really seeking wisdom through this entire uh, time. We want that to just be a, a habit in our life. And the third part of the Breakthrough Challenge is to invite people into our lives because we believe we can learn from people. And when we invite them into our lives, we can learn from them, they can learn from us, and we grow together. God created us to be in community. And so we want to encourage you to do that. One of the things that we would also just like to ask, we, this is the first time I'm announcing that, so you haven't heard it before, but uh, we are positive that if you've been doing these things, God's been doing some work in your life. We're positive of that. And if you would be willing to maybe share one of those things, Uh, We've created a couple ways for you to do that. If you go to our website, hptulsa.com, and then hit the media button, then there's a form there where you could just, and and we kind of coach you through it, share something that God has done to help you break through, maybe over this past month. And it's just a real simple way. We're not going to publicize that unless you give us permission, but that could be a real encouragement uh, to be able to just hear people say, here's a way in which God has helped me, or maybe we'll read some of those things at the end of the series. And so uh, we would love for you to share that with us. If you're on Facebook, we've already posted that form there. And uh, if you don't do digital, then just uh, uh, turn, turn the back of your check over. If you're old school, one, and, and write void on the front, and then you can write your story on the back. Um, or just a, a piece of paper is fine. I'm just kidding on that one. Um, But uh, you can find a piece of paper, write it out, and bring it to us. Uh, Mail it to us, drop it by the office, and that would make us happy just to hear how, what God is doing in your life. Because that's what the church does. We want to share these stories, and they may seem insignificant to you. And don't discount uh, even the small things that can be a great encouragement to other people. Well, one of the ways that we know people can end up stuck is in confusion about finances. There was a man named William Hurst who was a media mogul. He owned kind of a newspaper empire. Um, Some of you may have seen movies or different things about him. Uh, He lived in the kind of, uh, was at kind of his dominance uh, economically in the early and mid-1900s. And there's a number of stories that kind of just point to the idea that he had so much money he did not not know what to do with it. Um, He actually bought the Hurst Castle uh, for $37 million. It had 165 rooms, 
what do you do with 165 rooms except play hide and seek maybe? I don't know. Um, he loved art. And there's a story in which one time he sent one of his agents out, people who worked for him, to find this piece of art that he desperately wanted. And so this person went off on a global search for this piece of art. And months later, this person finally located this piece of art that, that Mr. Hurst wanted so terribly. You know where it was? It was in Mr. Hurst's storage unit. He had already bought it and forgot. So sometimes we have so much, if we don't have a great plan, we don't even know what to do with it. If you've ever been to Dubai, it's an entire story of people who have so much money that you talk to people from Dubai, it's like they're just building one thing after another because they're not even sure what to do with it anymore. And sometimes people have so much money, they almost end up stuck in confusion about not knowing what to do with it. But this morning, I also want to tell you a story that illustrates poverty. This picture will give you an idea. Oh, rest in peace, Blockbuster Video. I know some of our people actually used to, uh, to work at a Blockbuster Video. Um, in 1989, when Blockbuster uh, began, a new store was opening every 17 hours. I mean, that's kind of amazing exponential growth for this company. But then things started to go downhill. And then back in 2000, they had the opportunity to purchase another startup company. But Blockbuster thought, man, this company doesn't really know what they're doing. We don't really want to invest in this company. And so they did not invest in Netflix. Ooh. The picture you see now is of the last remaining Blockbuster video. It's in Bend, Oregon. Uh, it's the last, there's one still left, just one. But there's one still left. And so sometimes it's possible to have two little. And we desire to seek God's wisdom. Last week and throughout the series we've been talking about, it's good to plan specifically, but it's better to prepare our hearts. And we want to really focus on this series on preparing our hearts, being, having the type of integrity and character that will help us regardless of how our plans end up shaping out. And, and we'll be part of that. So we, we we desperately want to be seeking wisdom in this. And today, when we, when we think about getting stuck in finances, we think about getting stuck because we have too little or feel that we have too little, getting stuck because we can't seem to manage it, getting stuck because we're always chasing money, or getting stuck because we just have no clue what to do with it when it comes our way. So we want to really focus on the character. And the key verses for today come from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. It says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the, the name of my God. Now, is it possible for people to come across a lot of money and honor God with that? Absolutely. Is it possible for people to be very poor and to not steal and to honor God? Absolutely. But this proverb is saying there's some wisdom here to praying, God, I realize the temptations and traps of having way too little or way too much. And so God, help me to be content in what I have. And there's all of, all of these principles and proverbs. So here's what I want to do in our sermon today. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of principles about money from the book of Proverbs. I've listed them in your sermon page. You may want to kind of take some notes there. They're all true and they're all important. However, my goal is not for you to walk away with a handle on all of these principles. 
My goal is that we can ask one question once we get to the end of this that will help you understand all of these principles, that will guide you in the right path to, come, to, to walk through all of these principles from the Bible. So let me, let me just kind of bullet point through some big principles about finances and resources from the book of Proverbs. Number one, work hard. We're going to talk more about that next week. Proverbs 10 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Number two, but don't chase and idolize money. So see, one and two have like a balance. We work hard, but we don't chase it and idolize it our whole lives. Number three, be just and fair with your resources and money. Oftentimes when people have money, it's tempting to, to treat or to mistreat the people who don't have money. And Proverbs talks a lot about that. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. God is very serious about how we treat those with less than what we have. Four, never think it will bring you happiness and wholeness. I mean, you look through the Bible and you just look around life. Money does not bring the happiness and wholeness that we often believe that it, that it will. Number five, this is a little bit funny, but if you read Proverbs, it's true. It's just this big principle. Don't be stupid. I mean, I, I, it's just, it's a, you can't get away from that word when you read Proverbs. You think about wisdom and you think about stupid. And the, the book uses both of those words. And so you can apply that a lot of different directions, but Proverbs would apply it like, you know, don't spend what you don't have. Be disciplined. Don't throw it away. Don't do silly things with it. But be wise. Ask for wisdom. Um, Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That's being wise. Next one is save some of it. It's a principle in Proverbs. You save a little bit of your money so that you're able to... Uh, 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 manage through the crises in life. You're able to help someone when you have a unique opportunity. When the church or a missionary or a next-door neighbor desperately needs, you're able to help them because you've saved a little bit throughout your life. And then uh, the next one is don't live in debt. Proverbs 6 talks a lot about that. I don't know if you read that a couple days ago, but it actually talks about uh, a trapped animal trying to get away from the trap. If the trap has the animal's leg, the only thing that animal is going to try to do is to get away from the trap. And Proverbs says, if you're in debt, that's how you try to get out of debt. I mean, like with everything you've got, you try to get away because God knew that if, if we live in debt forever, then there's this stress that comes on and it's difficult on relationships. And maybe one person is fine being in debt and their spouse isn't fine at all being in debt. And that's often the case. And so it's a way to love others and to love your family and to avoid being um, a slave to whoever you own money to. And, and then this last one is uh, the greatest principle throughout Scripture when it comes to money is be generous. The generous will themselves be blessed, Proverbs 22 says, for they share their food with the poor. And you know this at Christmas time, oftentimes... Uh, there's a point where you get to an age, and sometimes that age is very young, where you are so joyful to give. You're actually more excited about giving a gift than you are receiving a gift. And that's a beautiful thing. That's how God made us. And so when God says be generous, he's actually telling us to do what will bring joy to our hearts. It's a wonderful thing. One of the helpful questions that if you feel like, man, I just don't have a whole lot of wisdom about money, 
And so I come through these decisions. I'm not sure what to do. One of the, the wise things that you could ask is, be like, okay, I'm not all that smart with money, but what would a smart person do with money? What would a godly and wise person do in this decision? And think about how they would navigate that. And even better yet, go ask them, how would you navigate this situation? We're the church, we're the family, we're to help each other with this. So how we handle money can express our love for our families, for our friends, for our church, for those around us. So I want to ask you one big question that kind of can help us with all of these little principles. Here's the big question. Why do I have what I have? Why do I have what I have? You have a certain amount of resources and money and time and friendships and things you own uh, and place where you live and a neighborhood and a school or a place you work. You have all of these things. And the big question I want to ask is, why do you have it? Surely... You don't have all of those things just for you. Surely not. Surely God has something else in mind. And we think about what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's the second greatest? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's why our vision here at Highland Park is to help people love God and love others and serve together. So surely all of your resources have something to do with that. Surely you have what you have Because God gave it to you. God owns it. He loaned it to you because he loves you and he cares for you. And you have the opportunity to show your love for God and your love for your your neighbors and your friends and your church family by figuring out what to do with it. So if if you walk away with anything this morning from my sermon, it's just this question of asking, why do I have what I have? Why, why do I maybe want to purchase this thing or spend money here or spend my time in this way? And there's a great story in the Bible in 2 Kings. If you have your Bibles and want to turn over there, 2 Kings chapter 7 that demonstrates this. There's more to this story. You can read a couple chapters behind and even later to get more of the story. But let me just kind of give you the context of what's happening. There's a city called Samaria. There's Israelites in the city of Samaria And an invading army has come, and all of the Israelites are now in the city, and the invading army is not getting into the city, but they've laid siege on them. So nobody in the city can get out, and nobody can come in. So they can't go hunting, they can't go tend to their crops, so they are starving to death. Animals that used to be like, you know, a mule that would help them plow their field, now they're looking at things like mules being like, that might taste pretty good. And when you get to that point of desperation, you start uh, just thinking like, okay, we can get rid of this and we can get rid of this. And it's getting, they're seeing like, we're going to starve to death. We're not going to make it. So it's total desperation there. Also, remember this. If, if you were somebody with leprosy, then you were cast out of the city. You were an outsider. And so we're going to read a story about what's happening in Samaria with this siege and this huge army that's camped right outside the city and won't let anybody in or out, and these four guys with leprosy, and this big question of why do I have what I have? I'm going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. If you've never heard this story, kind of buckle up, because it's an amazing story. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. See, they can't be quite inside the city, probably, so they're kind of there at the entrance. 
They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans, that's the enemy army, and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, eh, then we die. Right? I mean, these guys are stuck. If anybody was ever stuck, it's these four guys with leprosy. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Okay, so the four guys with leprosy are like, we, we're going to die one way or another. We might as well take our chances and just walk over to the enemy army. And when they walk over there, it's kind of like, hello? Anybody? And they were like, it's empty. All of their food and drink and silver, all of their belongings, it's all left there in these tents. And at that point, the four guys with leprosy kind of turn into kids who are at the arcade when it starts spitting out way too many tickets that you don't deserve. You ever seen kids are like grabbing them and stick it in their pockets and they're looking around to see if anybody sees them. And they're like, man, if I get 10,000 of these, I can buy like a pencil eraser. And they're like sticking them in. And the four guys are like going crazy. They're eating, they're drinking, they're taking stuff and they're burying it. And I mean, I don't know how big the hole's going to get by the time they work through hundreds of tents, but they're taking stuff and they're burying it. And like, you've probably been in that moment before where you're just like reacting and you're kind of going crazy and suddenly life just got way better and you got dealt the ace. And at some point in the middle of that, they're like, wait, wait a second, maybe, um, oh yeah, the whole city is starving to death. And they said, this is a day of good news. So we should go share this good news. And just to kind of quickly paraphrase the, the rest of the story, they go back and they, t they say, hey, uh, everybody's gone. We can come have everything. And the leaders of the city are like, uh, I'm not so sure about that. So they sent out a couple people to kind of investigate. And sure enough, and the city was saved because these four guys asked a really great question. Why do I have what I have? When suddenly I have this abundance, way more than we could ever need, why do we have what we have? See, the gospel is always good news. And, it, and they had good news that day. And when you have good news, well, why do you have it? To share it with other people. Just about a month ago at a, a board meeting for Black Box International, um, we were talking about the home that we're getting ready to open in Haiti later this year that will be for trafficked boys. And Wade, our executive director, said one thing has become very clear to us as we're working to set up this home in Haiti, and it's this. 
God has been working upstream. I've been thinking about that phrase ever since then. Of what does it look like when God is working upstream? Well, what it looks like is you're here working on something and you realize, man, days, weeks, years, decades ago, God was doing stuff and now it's kind of floated down the river and it's blessing my life. I could have never planned this out except God was clearly doing something way upstream. And so we believe that God is working upstream in your life too. You may be standing right now and not seeing it, not understanding it, but we pray that you're trusting God has been working upstream. And not only is, is he working in your life, but he's working through you to bless people downstream from you as well in, in future weeks and years and generations. God works like that. Have you ever been so hungry that you grew like really faint? You kind of like, man, I need to sit. I'm about to pass out if I don't eat something. Well, some, of, some people who are following Jesus may have felt like that. In John chapter 6, there's a story. It's a little more famous than the one that we just read. But in this story, Jesus is preaching. A huge crowd of people follow him. And they probably end up walking a little farther than they imagined. They end up listening a little longer than they thought. And, and the disciples tell Jesus, like, hey, um... All of these people are going to be getting hungry. What should we do? And Jesus says, well, you know, see if there's some food that we can round up. And they look around. There's no food trucks driving around. All they, they just see one kid with a sack lunch. He's got a couple fish, a few loaves of bread. And they bring, it, they bring the little you know, sack lunch to Jesus. And we're like, this is all we got. And Jesus said, great. Well, we better bless this before we pass it out. What? I mean, Jesus... We're talking about, they counted 5,000 men, so we're talking about 15,000, 20,000 people. You want us to say a prayer? I'm thinking it would have been the prayer of my little niece when she prays for lunch. She, she says, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, amen? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking people were going to not get what they wanted and they were all going to throw a fit. Um, and Jesus said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna, we should bless this. And so they do, and they start handing some stuff out. And they're like, well, you get a little piece of the fishtail, you know, or, or maybe you get a whole fish here, and you get a piece of bread. And then they look, and there's more. And then they look, and they pass it. And then there's more in their basket. And then suddenly they're like, hey, you guys help pass this out too. And they're all passing stuff out. And then before you know it, thousands of people have all fed. And the text says there was leftover, an abundance even more. And the disciples are going, what in the world just happened here? My friend uh, Casey Tigret wrote a book called Becoming Curious. It's a really great book. And he tells a story about an interaction he had with his daughter. Uh, his wife and his daughter had read this passage together. And his daughter said to him, Dad, you know it was a really big deal? And, and Casey said, yeah, sweetie, it was a big deal that Jesus multiplied the food like that. She's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it was a big deal that the boy gave up his lunch. And, and he said, well, why? And she said, because he knew he might not ever get it back. Like, hmm. And then uh, Casey's wife said, uh, you know, she said, I, I guess sometimes we can see the miracle but miss the sacrifice. These, we rightfully talk about Jesus in this story, but... I mean, this boy was probably hungry. I mean, he's a boy. He's hungry. He's going to want to eat that thing. His mom might be mad at him if he doesn't come home with a, you know, an extra piece of bread. But uh, wh whatever happened in him, he had to ask, why do I have what I have? And he decided if Jesus asked for it, he was going to give it. 
And Jesus used his sacrifice to be part of his miracle. God was working upstream. He already had it planned out, how to take care of those people. You know, not every disciple is asked to give everything that they've got, their entire sack lunch, or like the rich young ruler, to sell everything they've got and give it all away. Or Zacchaeus uh, decided to give, you know, half of all that he had and pay back four times what he had cheated people. But every person who follows Jesus is asked to give all of their heart. And then Jesus may come along and said, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. See, this sermon isn't about you giving money. It's really about you giving your heart. Because once we give our heart to Jesus, he may come alongside and say, this is what I expect. This is what I expect. This is what I expect. Jesus expects us to be generous, not because he's like mean saying, you got to do this or I won't love you, but because I love you and I care for you and you have this incredible opportunity to partner with me and what I'm doing in your life and on this planet. And what a beautiful privilege that is. We have some really good friends, uh, Morris and Marquita, who uh, their daughters played on my daughter's basketball team. And uh, their little one, uh, Mercy, she uh, uh, would come to the basketball games and watch and she also came to the Highland Park Learning School this past year. And they've become good friends of ours. And they came over for a cookout a couple weeks ago. And when they walked in the door, Mercy had something like in her fist. And her mom said, um, hey, uh, Brian, Mercy has something for you. She's been holding it all day long. I mean, they came over like at 5 or 6 in the evening. She's been holding it and running around all day long. And she can't wait to, to, to tell you about it. So she came up to me. And she opened up her hand, and she said, this is for the church. It was four pennies. Pretty sweet. She's three. And she had this huge smile on her face, and she was so happy to be able to give something to the church that provided the learning school that cared for her. And she, she was just as happy as anybody could be. It's no wonder that Jesus said, hey, look at, look at the faith of kids. You know, she had the faith that her mom and dad were going to take care of her, that she could give it away and she would still have a meal provided. She could give it away and she would still have a place to sleep. And I think that we should have the faith to know that when we give, God our Father takes care of us. I want to give you just four quick, real quick practical ways. I, I, wanted, I felt like I needed to give you some kind of some practical application here if you're thinking like, okay, I really want to be thinking about how can I give? And the Bible tells us just a couple of, th of things I want to mention to you, just some big words here. The first is this, how should we give? We give cheerfully. You give like mercy did with a big smile on your face because it is joyful to give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not just a Bible verse, that's a truth. All Bible, uh, the, the Bible, the truth of the Bible is amazing how it just plays out to be true in our lives every day, time and time again. Is a beautiful thing. So we give cheerfully because the Bible tells us to and because God, God knows what is best and it's a beautiful thing to give. Secondly, we give systematically. Now there are times that we want to give just on the fly. Something comes up, I have a chance to give. I have a chance to buy a meal for somebody. I have a chance to do something I wasn't planning on. And that's incredible. But the, the Bible also teaches this idea of giving systematically. 
one of the tough questions, we have this tough question series in August. One of the questions is, what about tithing? So we're going to spend a whole sermon talking about what does the Bible really say about tithing and giving. Another one is going to be, how do we give without hurting people? How do we give to help them and not enable bad habits in them? So there's some tough stuff with this. But when we give systematically, it actually kind of hardwires generosity into our DNA, into the life of who we are, builds this healthy habit with us. Not to mention, it's the very best way to support churches and organizations to know that there's some systematic givers who can then prepare based on that. The third way is to give wisely because we want to give in a way that helps people and not hurts them. In the same way a parent doesn't give their kid everything the kid asked for, right? Otherwise, our kids would have all died of cotton candy overdose years ago. We don't give them everything they ask for, but we give to them what is loving and good, and we really have to wrestle through with giving wisely. And the fourth thing is we give with no strings attached. We give wisely, but when we let go, just like someone lets go of some coins, our hand is open, and, and we just say, okay, now it's yours. And we trust God with what we have given to you. This morning, I'm sure that there's some people here who feel stuck in their confusion about money and finances and resources and how you spend your time and your calendar and all of those things. And we just want to give you here about 30 seconds to just spend some time in reflection. And we just want to, would you just spend a few moments here asking God, why do I have what I have? And listen to how he responds and speaks to your heart and nudges you. And maybe this will be a discussion that you carry on later with friends and family. But just ask, why do I have what I have? And how can I break through to give and to live wisely with everything that God has given to me? My time, my resources, my house, all of it. We're going to give you 30 seconds to do that. few paragraphs earlier from our story in 2 Kings 7, there's actually a similar story of to when Jesus fed the 5,000. It was on a smaller scale. But it's interesting in that when that miracle is completed, there's abundance, there's leftover. And all through the scriptures, we see that when people place their trust in God, he walks them through wherever they are, and then there ends up being leftover. And praise God that he works that way with grace as well. 
And if you think, boy, I am stuck and I have done too many foolish things or dumb things or I'm in a situation that I can never get out of and I'm just stuck here and I'm going to be frustrated and angry or sad or have zero purpose in my life or direction in my life, then I want you to know that God sees you and he loves you and he's working upstream in your life even if you can't see it now. And he wants to give to you generously so much that there's leftover. I don't know how that's going to all play out in your situation, but I do know this. If you're stuck in sin or in disobedience or in confusion, that God comes and says, I offer you wisdom, I offer you grace, and by the way, there will be plenty of leftover even after I've dished it out to you. There'll be plenty of leftover in your life and for other people and for other generations. There's plenty in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When we took communion, we partook in the bread of life, being one with God. And if you feel separated from God, away from God, then he comes and says, I am enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you, and there's abundance of it and leftover. So we're going to sing a couple songs this morning kind of to close out our service. But I don't want it to necessarily close out your morning uh, so during the next couple songs, uh, some folks from our prayer team will be on the front rows on the sides over here. If, if you would like to come up during these next couple songs and just have somebody pray with you, privately just kind of talk to you, uh, maybe you say, I, I, I want to I know what it means to follow Jesus and to be baptized and, and to turn away from my sins and to walk towards Christ, then we would love to visit with you during these next couple songs or even once we're dismissed today, we'll stay up here and be glad to visit with you if you want to come up once the service is over. If you want to mark something um, or, or call us this week, we'd be glad to visit with you. If you would, would you stand up and let me pray for us? Father, we know that there's an abundance of grace you offer to us, an abundance of love. There's more than enough, more than we could imagine. And for anyone who feels stuck this morning in whatever their situation might be, I pray that we could take a deep breath and know that you are moving just as you moved on the day of Pentecost a couple thousand years ago. We remember today that you're still moving, you're pouring out your spirit and your blessings and your faithfulness, your grace and your love and your peace into our lives. And we believe you, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.